Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. We're going to carry on with our story in Mark's Gospel this week. If you haven't been with us before, this is your first Sunday, maybe your first Sunday back in church for a long time. Welcome. It's really good to see you. Um, I hope you're. Um, I hope each one of us today will get what the disciples got in our story. That's our prayer for this morning. So Mark chapter nine is where we're going to be. If you need a church Bible, there's plenty on the welcome table over there. You'll find our passage on page 1,012 in those church Bibles. Just put up your hand if you do need one. Don't be shy and someone can run one over to you. But before we read Mark 9, let me quote to you some verses of Scripture that you might well have heard a lot before. Some verses from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Maybe you've sung those many times. Maybe you've heard those. Maybe you have watched the Vicar of Dibley and heard those um, songs in the the theme tune for that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's a nice thought, isn't it? But have you ever thought, how? How do I not fear evil even when I go through evil things? How do I not fear death when I'm approaching death's door? How do I not fear the deaths of loved ones? When we go through that dark valley, how do I not fear? How is that even possible? Well, it's only possible if you go for a walk with Jesus. So let me read you the story. Mark chapter 9. We'll start from verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the clouds. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Pretty amazing walk with Jesus, isn't it? So I've got some props with me. Second time I've brought this out when we've been talking about mountains. I think that probably means it's, um, it's been used more as a sermon illustration than as an actual mountaineering piece of equipment for me. And my boots, these have been used a little bit more on other walks. So there we go. Those can remind you what we're doing today. We're going for a walk with Jesus. And not just up any old mountain. This is probably Mount Hermon. I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land. Um, I haven't. But apparently Mount Hermon is, it just dominates everything. It's the biggest by far, the biggest mountain in Palestine. It's about 9,000 feet tall, which puts it about three times the height of Snowdon. And so after a week, after a pretty strange, sad and scary week, Jesus goes for a walk with his friends and answers that question. How do you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? 
How do you walk through the valley, which is fogged in by evil and darkness and suffering and frustration and confusion? How do you walk through that valley and make it and, and know life and know hope? Well, Jesus says, come for a walk with me up a valley and I'll show you something, something that will help you in those darkest of times. Jesus switches the lights on. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Do you remember that from childhood? Perhaps you have children or grandchildren going through that at the moment when all the lights are turned off, it's dark at night, the door's closed and they're scared. They need you to come and put a light on, a nightlight or crack the door open or just put the lights on altogether. Some children even apparently prefer sleeping in the lights and it helps drive away fear, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's seen the fear of Peter. We heard about it last week. When Jesus says to them, you're right that I'm the Messiah, but I'm this kind of Messiah, the kind of Messiah who goes in and is rejected, who will be killed, and I'll rise again. But all they hear so far, all the disciples hear, is that he'll be rejected and killed, and things are just beginning. And then it gets even worse. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. You need to be willing to die. You need to submit yourself to the executioner's nails and hammer. You need to be prepared to die if you're going to follow me. And you can imagine the disciples in a fog of terror and darkness. And you can understand Peter. We read his story a couple of months ago now. But Peter says, Jesus, that can't be true. He takes him aside and rebukes him and says, no, that's not what the Messiah does. That's not what the king does. It's not supposed to be like that. And do you remember what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. What a thing to hear from Jesus for you. Imagine how Peter's feeling then. He thinks Jesus is the Messiah and he's going to fix everything, but, but that he's going to die. And how on earth does any of that make sense? Can you feel the valley? Can you feel them in the fog? And they don't understand. They're confused. They're frustrated. They thought it was all going to work out for good. And now Jesus is, is saying he's going to die. And worse than that, that they have to die in some way anyway, if they're going to follow him. And so you can feel all the pressure, can't you? Pressing down on their shoulders. And Jesus says, come with me, come for a walk. Let me show you something. So what do we see when we see the disciples walking up the mountain with Jesus? Well, there's three things that we see, which are going to help us with three things once we get back down to the valley. So we've got to get up to the top of the mountain to see the light, to put the light switch on, if we're going to deal with the darkness and the valley below. So the first thing we see is the transfiguration. A bit of a strange word, isn't it? This is what they see on a, a beautiful mountaintop. They've been climbing all day. You can imagine them getting there at dusk, perhaps. And the pink and the, the, um, the purple and the orange and the um, sky as the sun dips down. But then suddenly there's an even more beautiful and dazzling light. Suddenly, Jesus lights up. Suddenly his face is like the sun. If you read the different accounts, his clothes are like lightning. Mark says here that his clothes are whiter than anybody could bleach them. Jesus turns into, well, I don't know what. He's transfigured. It's, something happens to Jesus. It's an interesting word, that transfigured word. It's our word. Well, it's a Greek word, but a word that we use in English quite frequently. It's the word metamorphosis. Have you ever come across butterflies turning from caterpillars into beautiful butterflies? That's metamorphosis, isn't it? You might remember that kind of thing from primary school or watching tadpoles grow. What is a caterpillar? A 
caterpillar is something that chews and eats all of your nice-looking flowers and plants in the garden. It's an annoying creature. You just want to squish. If it, and make sure it's not one of those fairy caterpillars before you do that. But you just want to squish them and get rid of them out of the garden until you see they, they weave this little chrysalis and, and eventually turn into a, a butterfly. They're transfigured. They're metamorphosized into something beautiful. They're not completely different to what they were before, are they? That, that, that was always in there. But now they're even something even more beautiful. It happens with tadpoles as well. It happened with one of my friends at university. <clears throat> I didn't realize he was my friend at the time, but we were best friends in primary school. My friend Sam, who's best man at my wedding as well. But I hadn't seen him for about seven or eight years, since primary school all the way through secondary school. I hadn't clapped eyes on him. He was at school in India. I was in Kent. And uh, we happened to go to the same university. But I'd lost touch. I didn't even know he was going there. Happened to be in the same year. And we met on, on a beach at a kind of welcome barbecue, one of the first days of Freshers' Week. And I walked across the beach. There was somebody else I knew who'd, who'd been to our primary school as well. And she said, oh, come and meet this guy. Um, he went to our school. You might, I don't know if you know him. And I went over and saw him. And he had an enormous beard, a little bit, well, not quite as tidy as Sam's, but kind of imagine Sam's beard crossed with Robinson Crusoe, kind of wild, wild hair as well. I didn't recognize him at all for a few seconds. And then I began to look a little bit more. I thought, I think I maybe. And then I realized who it was. It was my best friend from primary school. It was Sam. And then we lived in the same flat for the next couple of years. Um, and it, it, it was brilliant. It was amazing. I, I was interested to meet him, you know, as you are when you, in, when you meet new people who, who have a bit of common background with you. But there was something different with Sam, my best friend. Underneath all of that, I couldn't recognize him to begin with, but underneath all of that beard and wildness was Sam, my best friend. That's what's happening with Jesus. They don't see it. They see some special man who can do lots of miracles, and they even call in the Messiah, some kind of a king. But they don't really see who he is. We sang about this in Christmas, uh, Christmas as well. I don't know if you remember. Hark the herald angels sing. Do you remember that song? There's a, a, a line in that that says this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Do you remember that veiled in flesh? As if Jesus has taken on a human body, wrapped his divinity in human flesh and, and hidden it, at least in part. You see flashes of it, don't you? When he speaks and cuts right to your heart. When he speaks and, and drives fear away. When he speaks and demons run away. When he speaks and people are healed. You see flashes of it, but right here, the veil's taken away completely. And they see who it is. They see what John saw in Revelation chapter 1. That was the first sermon I preached here. I don't know if you remember. But, but go and read Revelation chapter 1. It's what the apostle John sees in his vision. Jesus lit up like the noonday sun. And he falls on his feet like the disciples do here. Jesus is transfigured, metamorphosized, changed. I've got a picture of that. Oh, it's all up, up here already. Does anybody know who painted this? If Clive was here, I'm sure he would know. Anthea. Not, not quite Anthea. A few years previous. Sorry? Titian? No, not Titian. This is Raphael. Not the Ninja Turtle, um, but the, the, um, the painter Raphael. Can you see what he's doing? He's got the transfiguration at the top with Jesus in the middle and Mo Moses and Elijah, who we'll meet in a second. And then down below here, we've got the valley. We'll read that story in a minute. It's a picture that's all about the story we're looking at today. It's all about the question we're looking at today. How can you survive in that dark valley? Well, you need to see the beautiful light. You need to see Jesus' face. You need to see his true inner glory that's bursting out in dazzling brilliance. 
You need to see him bright and shining like the sun. You need to see him with clothes like lightning. But you see, it's not just Jesus who's transfigured here. It's not just Jesus who's changed. It's the disciples as well. Let me read to you. This is Peter, who was there many years later, writing to um, brothers and sister Christians. And he says this, We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. That, that event is burned into Peter's memory. He saw Jesus. Maybe it was burned on his retinas. So he had little circles of, of black for the rest of his life. Um, I don't know, but it's burned into his memory, isn't it? And it changes everything. It makes everything real. It doesn't make it more true. It just makes it more real for Peter. He sees it for what it really is, and it transforms him eventually. It takes a while for him to catch up with it. But eventually, after the cross and resurrection, he's transformed, isn't he? He sees Jesus, and he has to see him time and time again. So don't be shy, by the way. If you're, somebody who, if you're not a Christian yet, you've been coming to church for a while, and you just say, I, I don't really get this. I'm not sure. I can kind of see glimpses of who Jesus is. I, I am interested in him, but I'm not 100% sure who he is or what he's like, whether I can trust him. Well, it was the same for the disciples. So be patient, but make sure you come and, and press closer to Jesus, just like Peter did. Don't be ashamed to come and ask big questions and make big mistakes, just like Peter did. But come and see Jesus, and it will transform everything. Think of Peter. We know his story well, don't we? Somebody who put his foot in his mouth. Somebody who was super overconfident until it came to the hard times. Until he had to walk down the mountain to the valley and face a little girl. We'll come to that story in a few months' time. But soon, Peter will be transformed into somebody who preaches and doesn't care what happens to him. And eventually loses his own life for Jesus. See, Jesus is transformed and transfigured, but so are the disciples. And so can you and I be. Because we have this eyewitness testimony, because we have this written to us, it will change us too. Because we have the Bible given to us, which is all pictures and signposts and explanations about Jesus. As we read it and come to understand it, as God opens our eyes, he'll lift the veil so we can see and we can be changed as well. Let me show you that. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you see the same picture, isn't it? As you see Jesus, Paul is saying, as, as the veil from his face is taken up, and you see he's not just a nice teacher, not just an interesting figure of history, but he really is God walking among us. He really is God's son. He really is glorious. He really will one day come again like this and you'll see him with a face like the sun, with clothes that you can barely look at and you'll fall on your face. And what will you say? Will you say hallelujah and rejoice because that's the day you've been looking forward to? Or will you fall on your face in terror because you finally realize that it's real and it's true and he's the king and you, and you, haven't, you haven't acknowledged him? Jesus is coming back. We'll see him. They get a glimpse of what Jesus is now and what he will be when we see him again. And it changes them. It changes us. It changes us. Makes us more holy. Makes us more like him. Makes us love other people as he's loved other people. 
It, it makes our values change as his values rub off on us. You see, Jesus is transfigured, but so are the disciples. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing is we've got to see the significance of that transfiguration. Not only is Jesus glorious, not only does that change us, but what does it mean? Well, Elijah and Moses, they help us work out what it means. Um, They're the two people you see in the picture. They're the two people who help us understand a little bit about this. Who were Elijah and Moses? Well, Elijah's the great prophet, isn't he? And Moses is the one who gave the law. That's pretty much the, most of the Old Testament. The law, all the, of God's teaching for the people of Israel, all of it pointing towards Jesus. And the prophets, all of those prophecies and foretellings about Jesus, about who he would be like, who he would be and, and what he would be like. They're all pointing towards Jesus. And so there they are with him on the mountain. Peter has a bit of a strange reaction to this, doesn't he? Look down. You can imagine him looking over Mark's shoulder. Remember at the beginning we said Mark was kind of Peter's apprentice. He was the one writing down all these stories. That's why it's called Mark, um, the book. But most of his information comes from Peter, telling him about it. So you can imagine him over his shoulder as he writes this. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. He doesn't know what to say, and so he just says it. He opens his mouth to put his other foot in, um, as somebody said. He has no idea what to say. So he just says the first thing that comes to him. He says, oh, look, there's three people. Why don't we build some shelters, build three tents, and we could just spend some time here and stay here forever. Peter gets it wrong, though, doesn't he, on a number of ways. Because Jesus isn't just another teacher like Moses or another prophet like Elijah. Jesus is far beyond them. They're a bit like moons, if you could put it like this. Moses and Elijah, a little bit like moons. They shine out lots of light, but when you see them, you should ask a question. Well, where's that light coming from? Because the moon isn't on fire, is it? The moon doesn't have light on it of its own. The moon always reflects light. So, so when you see the moon, you think, where does that light come from? And when you read Elijah or any other prophets, when you read Moses or any other Old Testament teachings, you think... Wow, this is light. This is beautiful. This is pointing somewhere, isn't it? And so who do Elijah and Moses point towards? Well, they point towards Jesus. If Moses and Elijah are moons, well, they point towards Jesus, who's the sun, who is the light of the world, the one who's broken into darkness. So Peter's wrong, isn't it? We don't just build three shelters because we've got another teacher, a bit like Moses and Elijah. No, Jesus is far beyond. You see that a few seconds later. They disappear. And who's left? Jesus. They've gone off. They've gone off to, to rest with God forever. As Christians who've died following Jesus do right now and will forever. They'll rest securely with him. But Jesus has a job to do. This is the significance of it. Jesus has a job to do that he's been talking about with Moses and Elijah. See, they were talking with Jesus, it says in verse 4. In Luke's gospel, it tells you what they were talking about says they were talking about his exodus that he would soon accomplish in Jerusalem, which is a bit of a weird phrase, isn't it? Something would happen in Jerusalem that was really significant. Well, there's no secret. Jesus has already told us what that's going to be. It's going to be his death. He's going to set people free, like the exodus, by dying, like the lamb did in Passover. That's what we work out when we get to the end of the story. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die So we've passed Mark's halfway point in in the book, and this is what the second half is all about. The first half was about, who is this? 
Who is this? It's somebody who heals, somebody who teaches, somebody who casts out evil, somebody who's wonderfully good. Who is he? Well, he's the king. What kind of king is he going to be? Ultimately, what will he do? He's a suffering servant. He's the king who's going to die. And that's what they're talking about. Moses and Elijah talking about the greatest event in Jesus' life, the greatest event in history. Jesus is going to be the suffering servant. He's going to be the one who goes to the cross. He remains there. He stays there when everything else disappears because he has a job to do. His job is to go to the cross and die for us. But there's more explanation to be done, isn't there? There's another, another voice that comes. Not only Moses, not only Elijah... But a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Not listen to the prophets, although we should. Not just listen to the the law, although we should. But listen to my son. That's what this is all about. God himself arrives in this glory. The same cloud that went into the temple. The same cloud that led the people of Israel through the wilderness. The same cloud that went into the tabernacle that symbolizes God's presence hasn't been seen for about 600 years since it left the the temple way back in the Old Testament. Hasn't been seen. But if you were there that night and you looked up on to Mount Hermon, you would see that cloud for the first time in generation after generation after generation. God's presence was among them. And he spoke and said, this is my son. Listen to him. There's a question for us right away there, isn't there? Are we listening to him? Do you see who Jesus is? When it comes to seeing his glory, do you see that? And do you want to see that more and more? Do you desire to see his glory more right now than you did last year? Do you love it when you catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is, when he strikes your heart in a sermon, in a song, as you're praying, as you read the scriptures, as you are talking with, it, with another brother or sister about the Lord? Do you love it when you see his glory? Have you listened to him? Is he the one you listen to most of all? Or do you listen to the news more? Do you listen to the opinions of friends and family more? A question to ask is, what affects your mood most of all, week by week? Is it news about Brexit? Is it how your job is going? Is it how you slept last night, what you ate for dinner? Is it how the people around you are treating you today? How your children are behaving and how that makes you look? What what drives your emotions and how you feel day by day? Is it all of those things? that are down in the valley? Or is it that you love Jesus, that you see his face, that when you've met him in your quiet times in the morning, when you've met him in your prayers in the evening, you're happy, it's okay. Other things can happen and they'll make you sad, but you know that joy deep down. Do you see Jesus? Do you listen to him? Well, we've seen the significance of it, of this transfiguration, and we need to see the affirmation. One last thing quickly before we move down to the valley. Jesus, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him, God says. Jesus needs affirmation. He needs to hear the father say, this is my son and I love him. Why? Because he's got a job to do. He's about to walk down the mountain and go to the cross where he'll be forsaken. We'll hear him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He needs to know that the father's on his side, that that won't be forever, that the cross is his destination, but it's not his destiny. You could put it like that. It's not going to end with his death. That's what Peter needs to remember. That's what we need to remember, that Wynne was helping us think about fear, wasn't he? That there might be plenty of things that we fear, 
But what would be the thing that keeps us going through? It's seeing Jesus. It's seeing that this fear doesn't have the final say, that it will end and that we'll see him face to face and all will be put right. So Jesus needs to hear affirmation to help him get through the brutality of the cross. But also, really, it's mostly for us, isn't it? And for, this, for the disciples. We need to hear God say that to us. We need to ask him to help us see the Lord Jesus. We need to remember that whoever we are, we get to come and see the Lord Jesus if we bow on our knees and ask him. Think of who Peter was. We ran through the story at the beginning, didn't we? Peter, just a few days before this, had said something that made Jesus wheel around and say to him, get behind me, Satan. Imagine how he was feeling. But it doesn't stop Jesus saying, come on, follow me. I, w- I want to show you something. Come up the mountain with me. So you don't just have to be Moses or Elijah or some great character. You don't have to have done incredible things for God and, and really lived a perfect life before you get to see Jesus. You just have to come and ask him. You just have to fall on your knees. And when he says, come on, come and follow me. Let me show you something. You have to say, all right, get your boots on and go and walk with him. And when you hear that affirmation, when you see that anybody can come, it's amazing. It's the kind of thing that changes your life. It's the kind of thing that makes you grow as a Christian. It makes faith more real, not more true, because it's, it's true, but it makes it more real to our own hearts, doesn't it? It makes our faith more urgent, makes our faith more powerful, helps us learn to rely on him. It gives us something to look forward to, something to look backwards at when we're going through that valley. It helps us cope when we walk down the mountain. We need to hear God's word say to us, if we're with Jesus, if we're following him, that he loves us, that we're his own dear sons and daughters, that he's pleased with us. If you're listening to Jesus, if you're following him, however weakly, if you're listening to Jesus and following him, then he says these words about you as well. So you can walk through the valley. You can know that fear doesn't have the final say. So then they come down the mountain Let me read you a bit of that story. They come back down the mountain with a bump, don't they? Back to reality. From verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you to you my son who who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he resurrected. That's the actual word there. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, 
Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. What do they see when they get down the mountain? Well, they go from that amazing cloud of God's glory, hearing God's voice, of seeing reality as it truly is with the veil taken back. They go from all of that light and beauty, amazing experience. Of course, you'd want to stay there, wouldn't you? But they come back down the valley to darkness and a fog of, of confusion and arguing. People have no idea what to do. They come down to suffering. They come down to, to frustration. But there's confusion because this man has brought, uh, brought his boy along and they can't do anything. They can't help him out. They've brought their problems to the people who are following Jesus and nothing seems to be happening. They don't seem to have any answers. I wonder if that is similar with us in the church some days, that people might bring our, their problems to church, might wander in to church on a Sunday morning with big questions, with deep doubts, but say, I didn't find any help there. These people claim to follow Jesus, but they didn't seem to have any answers. They were too busy. They were too busy arguing amongst themselves, too busy building their own kingdoms and, and trying to build themselves up. They're too busy for me. I could have really done with somebody welcoming me and talking to me, sitting down and, and asking about my life and sharing life with me, but they were too busy with their own friends. Their friendship circles were already full. Their diaries were already too busy for me. It's the kind of thing that's happening with these disciples. They haven't turned to Jesus. They haven't turned to pray. They're, they're too busy arguing among themselves. There's confusion. And there's suffering too. A confusion that leads to frustration in all of this suffering. This boy, he's been suffering all of his life. Have you seen that since childhood? Imagine how terrifying this would be for you as a, as a parent or a grandparent. Or for just any child in church to run in the, in, uh, into uh, where all the kettles are and try and dunk their hand in there. Uncontrollably, just without explanation. Or, or trying to open the door of your fire and, and put their hand in. Every day since they were a child, uncontrollably, you just can't get them to stop. And on top of that, they can't speak and they can't hear. They're deaf and they're mute. They can't hear you trying to comfort them. They can't tell you about the frustrations of, of being oppressed like this. See, this boy isn't just ill, is he? They knew about things like epilepsy. You can read Matthew chapter 4. Um, they knew about sickness and illness. They're not just naive, kind of superstitious people. This is something far more than physical illness. This is sadness and evil and suffering and confusion and frustration all wrapped in together, isn't it? This is a dark, dark valley that, that the people have walked through. And Jesus is frustrated with it. Why couldn't they do anything? Well, Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? That's the problem with them. Not just that they don't have enough spiritual power or something. They have enough. They have everything they need, as we'll see in a second. The problem is they don't really believe. They haven't prayed. They haven't come to Jesus. Unbelieving generation. It reminds us of what God said of the Israelites back in the wilderness. People who kept on walking away from him, who had him providing for them and looking after them and, and showing them his face day by day. But they just couldn't or wouldn't see it and kept walking away from him and walking into trouble. So in the valley, there's suffering there's frustration. Even Jesus is affected by that. And there's a lot of sadness and confusion. And so what do we do about it? What were the disciples 
Well, what should they have done about it? They should have prayed. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? Simple as that. This kind can only come out through prayer. Well, if the demon hasn't come out, well, then they didn't pray. How does that help us? Well, it helps us put together the mountain and the valley. It helps us put together the light and the darkness, doesn't it? How do we walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, there's the answer. We pray. Because what happens when when we pray? You bring Jesus into that situation, don't you? You bring the, the, the top of the mountain into the deepest part of the valley. And Jesus is more than willing to come with you. Think of what he's done, not just gone from the top of a mountain, but he's come from the highest heaven with his father, full, full of unapproachable light, taken on a body, put himself at the mercy of these disciples who were just never get it, at the mercy of, of people who one day would take him and reject him and kill him. Jesus went from all the way up there, down, down, and down into our valley. He's walked with us. So if you pray and ask him, he's more than willing. He loves to come and and step down again and walk with us. That's how you put together the top of the mountain with the deepest of the valleys. But how do we do that? Well, it's, it's faith, isn't it? We don't see him just yet with these eyes. One day we will. So now we have to see him by faith. But you might say, I don't have enough faith for that. Or maybe I have prayed and I, I didn't feel anything. It didn't feel like Jesus came close to me. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. Well, no, that's not what the problem is. Let's have a look at the, um, the father and his reaction. What happens to him? This is what faith is like. So they brought this boy to him. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, if you can. Everything is possible for him who believes. What do you mean, if you can? See, the father's struggling with unbelief as well, isn't he? And this is, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, how the father responds. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's, it's exactly what we're like, isn't it? We like to say, oh, you either believe or you don't. But aren't we all just a mixture? Aren't we all just a mixture of, I trust you, Lord Jesus, but, but there's so many doubts. There's so many questions. I had a great day yesterday, but then I woke up this morning. I don't even know if you're real. I don't know if any of this is real. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. At least I want to believe. Or I want to want to believe. Would you help me? Life is so confusing and difficult, and the the darkness is so oppressive. The fog is so thick. I just can't see, but would you help me? That's what faith is, isn't it? Because this man, this unbelief, this if you can do it, I'm not 100% sure. I'm hoping you can. But there really is faith there, isn't it? He's brought him to Jesus. That's trust. So what does Jesus do with it? He doesn't turn him away. He builds up his faith, doesn't he? He gives him a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. Right down there in the valley. Didn't have to walk up the mountain this time. Right down there in the valley. He comes to Jesus. Prays, would you do something if you can? And Jesus says, everything's possible for him who believes. Who's he talking about? Whose belief is important? It's a bit ambiguous, isn't it? I think it's talking about Jesus' belief. Everything is possible for him who believes, and he believes because he's the one who's about to do it. And as we see him being able to help us, as we see him going to a cross, even to those lengths to help us, as we see him dying, but then going through death and out the other side to be resurrected, and you see his power, he can do anything, so of course he can help us. 
And so we come to him and still full of doubts, we say, Lord, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? Would you help me in this valley? And Jesus says, yes, and heals the boy, raises him up. It's a resurrection. It literally is the word for resurrection. The boy looks like he's dead, like everything is lost, like Jesus couldn't do it. But then, no, he takes him by the hand, lifts him up. And there he is from death to life, ears opened, able to speak, able to hear, and free forever. Did you see that? He rebukes the, the evil spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. One day, there'll come a day when the valley will be over once and for all. And it'll all be mountain. One day, the darkness will be gone and it'll all be light. One day, the fog of doubt and, and confusion will all be gone and it'll be clarity and beautiful peace. Right now we're in the valley. We really do need a vision, don't we? But one little word for when that vision comes, don't stay there. That's what Peter's temptation was, wasn't it? Maybe that's why he wanted to build the huts up on the mountainside. Oh, let's just stay here. Maybe Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross after all. I mean, go back and read the stories. Moses, his body kind of disappeared. God buried him, and we're not really sure what happened. Elijah was whisked away to heaven, so maybe Jesus could be like that. Maybe he doesn't have to suffer, which means maybe we don't have to suffer, and we can stay on the mountain forever. We shouldn't stay on the mountain. We shouldn't be like churches have been in, in many parts of Wales, living in the past, looking at those days when, when God's glory came in, in the revivals hundreds of years ago now, and just trying to bring those days back, living in a time warp. We shouldn't be like that. I hope that we aren't like that as a church, but that we, we're excited for what God is doing now and what he will do. We say God has helped us so far, and we're looking forward to what he's about to do. But it happens in our lives. We might be tempted personally. Maybe you go on a conference each year, and you just live for those moments. Those are your mountaintop moments. Or you just enjoy listening to a hill song on YouTube at home and kind of worshipping in, in your room. And that's your moment. And you just live for that. And you kind of run around in life, trying to avoid as much trouble and avoid as many hard situations and strange, difficult people, just so you can get back to that moment. Can you resonate with that? Is life like that for you? Just wanting to live on the mountain and never go down to the valley. I know Jesus says, come on, follow me. Follow me up the valley and see who I really am. Have you seen that? Do you know who Jesus really is? If not, pray that he would give you a glimpse. Read the word that, that's the moon that shines light onto him. Um, so that, that leads us to ask where that light comes from, that helps us to see the sun. Have you seen him? Pray and ask him to show himself to you. And once you've seen him, don't keep it to yourself. Don't stay up the mountain. Run back down the mountain, into the fog, into the darkness, into the confusion, frustration, and suffering. Be honest about it and bring the hope that the gospel brings. There's a, an old hymn. I want to read you a few of uh, lines of the lines for it, and perhaps we might learn it through the year. I think this is becoming a bit of a theme. If you were in rooted groups, we read Psalm 27 um, a couple of weeks ago, and that was what David prayed. He prayed for this, for what we've been talking about today. He prayed that he would dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his face forever. We've been talking about fear in the first Sunday of the year. And now we come to a place where God has given us a little glimpse of Jesus' face. So let's, perhaps we can learn this, perhaps um, as your, kind of a poem for your own prayers. Just enjoy it now. Maybe we could learn and sing it in future Sundays. But let me read you a few verses. I saw a new vision of Jesus, a view I'd not seen here before. Beholding in glory so wondrous, with beauty I had to adore. 
I stood on the shores of my weakness and gazed at the brink of such fear. Twas then that I saw him in newness, regarding him fair and so dear. My Saviour will never forsake me, unveiling his merciful face, his presence and promise almighty, redeeming his loved ones by grace. In shades of the valley's dark terror, where hell and its horror hold sway, my Jesus will reach out in power and save me by his only way. For yonder a light shines eternal, which spreads through the valley of gloom. Lord Jesus, resplendent and regal, drives fear far away from the tomb. Our God is the end of the journey, his pleasant and glorious domain, for there are the children of mercy who praise him for Calvary's pain. Our God is the end of the journey. So come to the mountain. If you haven't seen him, come and see him now. Run back down, help others, but with your eyes fixed on our God, who is the end of the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the light that pours from your word. And I don't just mean the Bible, but I mean your son, your word who's been given to us. We thank you for that. It's a strange but wonderful story that just fills us with joy and happiness when we come to understand it. That There were people there, rotten people like Peter, like us, who got to walk up a mountain with Jesus, who got to hear him talking about that great act of history with Moses and Elijah, who got to hear the very voice of the Father say, this is my son, listen to him. Oh Lord, would you help us to listen to him today? Would you help us as we walk through, we've heard already this morning, plenty of families, plenty of brothers and sisters sitting here among us who are walking through dark valleys. Lord, we ask that you would comfort. Lord, we know that you don't promise that all of those sadnesses will be swept away at once right now. It's not a matter of just us having a bit more faith and, and, then, and then you'll fix it. But Father, we know that you bring comfort now in this valley and that you promise one day to sweep all this darkness away and for us to see Jesus and have him wipe our tears. So Lord, as we walk through what we're walking through, would you help us to love one another and serve one another? Would you help us to be lights to one another that as we see the Lord Jesus in each other's face, that we would see, where's that light coming from? And it would point us to Jesus. Lord, we pray, help us to see the Lord Jesus. Help us to help others in that darkness. Would you come to us in our darkness? Help us to be lights to the world, pointing towards the light of the world. Amen. hope that you found today's message useful and challenging and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss if you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church make sure to like us on Facebook and lastly check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts Thanks for listening.